0: again everyone and welcome to another edition of Radio Free Acton. This is the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. My name is Mark Vandermas and it's my pleasure to be your host here on the podcast Uh, and uh, as usual we have a good one for you. Uh, We're speaking today with Ilya Shapiro, Senior Fellow in Constitutional Studies at the Cato Institute and uh, Editor of the Cato Supreme Court Review. And uh, if you've been paying attention, of course, you know that the United States Supreme Court is back in the news. The federal judiciary in general is back in the news. And uh, because we have a new nominee for uh, the seat that was vacated with the passing of Justice Antonin Scalia, Judge Neil Gorsuch is uh, President Trump's pick for that seat. Uh, because we recorded this uh, interview with Ilya Shapiro back in December when he was here at Acton uh, as part of our Acton lecture series, we're not going to address the pick uh, specifically today. We are going to do that, though. Uh, please stay tuned to the podcast uh, because our next edition we're hoping to talk with Judge Joseph Scoville, uh, who's a former, uh, I should say, retired Uh, federal magistrate judge here in the Western District of Michigan. He's a friend of Acton, uh, actually spoke as part of our Acton lecture series. We're going to get his response to his reaction to the nomination of Judge Gorsuch in our next edition of Radio Free Acton. But for now, we're going to focus kind of generally on the court, on the federal judiciary, and on the role that presidents play in uh, shaping that judiciary, what sort of legacy they leave behind and uh, what sort of picks we are, we're, we're, we're likely to see from a President Trump versus what we would have seen from a uh, President Hillary Clinton. But having said all that, I don't want to add too much to the preliminaries. Uh, we want to get to our interview. Uh, Ilya Shapiro was with us back in December. Uh, Paul Bonicelli, our Director of Programs and Education, sat in on the interview with us, and uh, I want to get that to you right now. So without further ado, here's our interview with the Cato Institute's Ilya Shapiro, right here on Radio Free Acton. Well, we are pleased to be joined today uh, here in the Acton Studios. Once again, I I start off with Paul Bonicelli, our Director of Programs here at the Acton Institute. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? Great. Good to be with you. And uh, Ilya Shapiro is with us. He is a Senior Fellow in Constitutional Studies at the Cato Institute, the editor of the Cato Supreme Court Review. And uh, Ilya, first of all, welcome to the Acton Institute. It's glad, uh, we're so glad to have you with us today. It's great to have you on Radio Free
1: Acton. It's good to be here. My first visit, I've admired your institution for a long time.
0: Well, it's, it's great to have you here. And you being uh, a constitutional studies expert, uh, I don't know if you, were, if you were following, but there was an election and uh, we now have President-elect uh, Donald Trump. Uh, you, you may have heard the news. Yeah, I'm um,
1: wondering whether all that was a dream or a nightmare <laughs> or what exactly was going on. I'm just glad it's over. I'm just glad this this election is just so toxic. And it was the first one that I could vote in. I just became a citizen two years ago. So uh, I think it can only get better.
0: Wow. I, I, I want to apologize on behalf of
1: all of America that this is the first election that you had an
0: opportunity to vote in. Well, I, I guess the question for a constitutional scholar is, uh, first of all... Well,
1: you know, like, like most immigrants, I do a job that native-born Americans won't. <laughs> and that's defending the Constitution. Yes. Yes. Thank you for that.
0: We need it. Uh... With this election, though, obviously the Supreme Court vacancy uh, that was brought about by the the passing of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, it had to play a significant role. I think it was on the mind of a lot of people, especially conservative voters, who normally wouldn't think of voting for someone like Donald Trump. I have to imagine that 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 played a role in this election. Well, to
1: the extent that issues mattered in this election, it wasn't all about videos and emails and all the rest of that. Uh, This had to be, indeed, uh, one of the The paramount issues. I mean, we legal pundits jump up and down every election and say, "Pay attention to judges, pay attention to judges." And this time, I think uh, it actually did uh, make a large difference. As you said, uh, I think a lot of people kind of held their noses and voted for Trump primarily on this issue.
0: What uh, what would we have been looking at uh, with a president, a hypothetical president Hillary Clinton? What kind of an appointment would we be looking at? There would be we be looking at. A swing voter of the Anthony Kennedy type, or would we be looking at another uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg or Elena Kagan, sort of a, a harder left ideologue type?
1: Well, I, I don't think we have to speculate very much in terms of the specific person. I think Merrick Garland would have been renominated uh, and, uh, and confirmed. Uh, he's kind of a, a centrist and an older uh, judge uh, as far as these things go. Uh, which is a, a compromise of of sorts. Uh, I'm not heartened too much by that because any kind of progressive, even a so-called moderate. Uh, is just uh, on the left for all the controversial issues that come up where the court is split four to four. And indeed, on some issues that break down on heterodox lines, where it's kind of the right and the left against the middle, the principled versus the pragmatic, if you will, uh, like criminal uh, justice issues, criminal procedure issues, where Scalia was the the biggest uh, friend of criminal defendants, for example. There, a Merrick Garland type uh, is not good from my kind of libertarian perspective.
0: Sure, we would have been looking at a, a pretty definite shift to the from a center right court to essentially a center left court.
1: The biggest shift that we've had in, in probably 40 years on the court, indeed. Uh, whether you're talking about religious liberty, uh, gun rights, uh, scope of regulatory authority, uh, you name it, uh, this would be a, a, the court would be going in a very different direction. And uh, the groups that have been playing defense for so long will be on off would be on would have been on offense and, and vice versa.
0: Uh, I, I was reading, I, I think it was a book review that you had written a while back, and you mentioned in there uh, that uh, not too long ago, uh, a decision had been made in the federal court system that, that was uh, this decision was reached by a Lyndon Johnson appointee. Um, which which really stood out to me, the, it, and it was a significant decision on a relatively significant controversy in the court system. And it wasn't the issue that that stuck out to me. It was the fact that we still have a Lyndon Johnson appointee, a president who died before I was born, who was president a decade before I was uh, even a you know thought of. Um, it, we talk a lot right now about legacies. President Obama, and and when people talk about President Obama's legacy, they're often talking about his or his uh, legislative legacy, the the question of whether or not Obamacare will survive, or or uh, his regulatory legacy. But really, one of the the real lasting things that a president does, especially a two term president is they leave a judicial legacy behind, not just on the Supreme Court, but in the federal court system in general. What is President Obama's judicial legacy going to be? Uh, you know, As we look back 20 years from now, what what are the sort of decisions that we're going to see from his picks? What, what In what direction are they going to be pointing the judicial system?
1: Well, President Obama has had a large effect uh, on the judiciary. Every president does. I mean, I think at least in the domestic sphere, this is uh, quite literally the biggest impact a president has because uh, Justice Scalia was appointed, of course, by, by President Reagan. It was his uh, legacy, his bridge to the uh, 21st century of legal policy. Uh, in any four-year term, a president nominates approximately uh, just under a fifth of the judiciary, so a two-term presidency, nearly 40%. That's huge, or, or huge, I guess. <laughs> uh, and, and so President uh, Obama, uh, uh, you can see when he came into office, one of the 13 federal circuit courts of appeal had a majority of Democratic appointees. Now nine do. That's very important, especially uh, the D.C. Circuit, which handles appeals from all the regulatory agencies, yes. uh, and the Fourth Circuit, which encompasses Virginia and, and and the Carolinas, which was historically a very conservative court. Now it's one of the most uh, progressive uh, ones out there. Uh, now that will start eroding as... President Trump um, starts making his nominees, uh, but but still, this this cannot be. This is kind of this. This is why legal pundits uh, pound the table every four years because this is a huge. Uh uh, deal. Uh, tax reforms can be reversed. Regulations can be rescinded or changed. Uh, but judges are for life. And there are still plenty of judges, not too many Lyndon Johnson, but they're, you know, as you go up, even even Reagan, the judge I clerked for was a, one of uh, President Reagan's first appointees to the Fifth Circuit. So he's been on the bench 35 years, and that's not uncommon.
0: You have a great piece in The Federalist. Uh, yesterday, I think it was, about the decision facing Mitch McConnell, uh, the Senate uh, Majority Leader, the Senate in general, about the filibuster, the judicial filibuster. Um, could you talk a little bit about that and, and what you're proposing?
1: Right. Uh, historically, uh, judges or other uh, nominees, executive branch nominees, were not filibustered. Uh, the Senate runs on tradition and precedent, and there's a long tradition of uh, having a filibuster for legislation. The Senate is meant to serve off, serve as a, a cooling-off dish for legislation to make sure that it really has enduring, uh, uh, popular, and, and regional support. Uh, but nominees, uh, certainly judicial nominees, it, it, was, it would be really strange and sordid to think of them as being filibustered. The first time that a judicial filibuster was used was in 1968, where a bi- bipartisan group of senators prevented uh, Abe Fortas from being elevated uh, to chief justice. He was already on the, on the Supreme Court, and he had various ethical concerns about him. This was not ideological, but uh, anyway, he was blocked. Uh, and, and that was it until uh, President George W. Bush— Uh, when he made uh, a number of uh, very strong, uh, certainly conservative uh, nominees— And uh, Harry Reid, when the Democrats became part of the uh, minority, when they lost uh, the Senate, uh, started filibustering a a large number of them. And this was uh, a ratcheting up of tensions. I mean, it's hard for us to think about this, but 13 years ago, that was a really toxic political environment in Washington that had never been done before, as I said, with this exception of this weird uh, ethical issue in 1968. Uh, And uh, eventually, uh, two years later in 2005, the so-called Gang of 14 uh, senators from both parties got together and approved a deal where certain judges would be confirmed, uh, others would be uh, would not, uh, and we went forward, and, and that prevented the so-called nuclear option from being exercised, that is, that the Senate would change its Uh, Precedent, its kind of sense of the Senate, uh, uh, that uh, you could no longer filibuster these judges. It was avoided then. Ten years later in 2013, uh, when Harry Reid was uh, in the majority, at that point did get rid of uh, the judicial filibuster for lower court nominees, and that allowed President Obama to uh, fill up the D.C. Circuit and other courts with uh, uh, long-standing nominees that that had been uh, held up. Uh, and now the question is, uh, will Mitch McConnell and the Republicans, now that they're back in the majority, get rid of the, the last remaining nominee filibuster for the Supreme Court? Uh, I think they should. They can't do it preemptively. You can't kind of do it any the abstract. I thought you could, but uh, a friend who uh, is intimate with uh, Senate parliamentary procedure says you actually have to have a nominee to have a, a vote on that question. Uh, I'm less concerned with Mitch McConnell. You asked me if Mitch McConnell faces a choice. I think he's showed some, some backbone in the, in the fight over Merrick Garland, the no hearings, no votes position. All of that, I'm less concerned with him than whether he can uh, maintain uh, all 52, or I guess he needs 51 or or 50, I guess, with the tie-breaking vote, uh, Republicans in line in his caucus, because already uh, senators like Lindsey Graham, Jeff Flake. I think maybe Bob Corker, Susan Collins, that's a, at least four there that have already uh, intimated that they're not necessarily on board with getting rid of the filibuster. We'll see what happens. We'll see what kind of nominee it is uh, and and how he or she is being uh, attacked uh, uh, from the left.
0: You think those senators could really sit there and not let President Trump get his nominees through by talking about some wonderful precedent we need to maintain? It seems like they'd have to crack at some point.
1: Uh, you know, I've stopped making predictions about the 2016 uh, uh, election or political scene. Um, it, there's going to be an interesting dynamic at play. And there's going to be, you know, uh, Trump is famous for the the art of the deal. Uh, and so will he make some sort of deal uh, with, uh, you know, okay, I'll back off on this nominee. I'll pick someone else from the list. Uh, uh, if you give me a wall, if you give me this infrastructure spending, whatever. Or, or will he just say, nope, this is who we're going with. And, uh, you know, you're up for re-election in two years. Why don't you you know, hear from your constituents? And if
0: it's a really popular... A nominee, that could be painful for a senator.
1: If if it's a a woman or a a, a member of a racial minority or just, you know, someone who uh, cannot be attacked for anything other than, oh, no, he or she would be dangerous because it's a smart person who would— you know, I, I don't agree with. There's a lot of the, the, the Democrats, for that matter, are facing uh, a tough uh, Senate reelection map in 2018. And so uh, they might not even let it get to a filibuster.
0: Ilya Shapiro is with us. He is senior, a senior constitutional uh, scholar at the Cato Institute, editor of the Cato. Supreme Court Journal and uh, Ilya I guess uh, the the last question that that we need to look at is the upcoming Supreme Court term some of the cases that are that are going before the court we've had a lot of significant cases it seems over the last few years uh, is there anything significant coming up on the court's docket that we should be aware of and how does the uh, vacancy of
1: Scalia's seat affect these cases. A lot of people thought that Scalia's vacancy would grind the court to a halt. Uh, it actually didn't really affect the cases that were already on the docket last term, uh, uh, with the exception of of one major one called uh, Friedrichs versus California Teachers Association about workers' rights versus union powers. Uh, that one would have come out the other way had Scalia been there. But all the others, even the biggest controversial ones, uh, immigration, affirmative action, abortion, either Scalia would have been in dissent anyway, and so it was a 5-3 decision, or it was a 4-4 without opinion that would have been gone the same way, affirming the same uh, lower court uh, ruling with Scalia's vote. Um, So uh, his absence obviously felt a different dynamic on the court during argument, uh, but didn't really, for practical uh, terms, change the outcomes. What it has affected is the quality and quantity of cases that the court has been taking for the future. So this is a very thin docket this year, both in terms of a lack of blockbusters. I mean, we've kind of, you you mentioned this, we've had sort of five or six consecutive terms of the century. It's not usual that every year two of the major issues in American society are being debated at the Supreme Court. That's not the norm. I don't think it's a healthy thing either. I mean, I, you know, I think the court should decide the cases when they come to them, but that's unusual. Um, we don't have that this year. I mean, this year, the biggest case... Uh, involves uh, transgender bathrooms, but not the rights of transgender individuals, but whether a letter written by a low-level bureaucrat can change federal law. It's actually very technical administrative law, and this letter is very likely to be withdrawn on, you know, day one or two of the Trump administration, so that case, is, and, and others uh, are likely uh, to go away. So I think this term is going to be a bit of a breather for us uh, Supreme Court watchers, but once they uh, have a ninth justice, they'll start picking up the pace in terms of types and numbers of cases, so next term will probably be back to a uh, A higher profile. The the danger, I suppose, of having an ever expanding federal government is that these cases become more and more important. Well, that's the thing. It's not that the court is a self starting institution that reaches out to decide important issues. It's that when the government creates massive new uh, programs, whether it's Obamacare or Dodd Frank, financial regulation, uh, it uh, effectively comes to the nuisance or or kind of creates conflicts uh, with either states or with individuals or, or institutions. Uh, and inevitably those tensions can't be resolved through the political process and, and you generate these court cases. It's not like the uh, li- little sisters of the poor, the nuns, all of a sudden decided to sue the federal government. No, they were doing their, their good works, and all of a sudden uh, the government said, no, you have to, you have to pay for, uh, for, for birth control and, and things like this. Um, so there's a lot of, I think, uh, needless tensions, uh, legal and otherwise, that are created by uh, out-of-control government that's largely unconstitutional. One more
0: question pops to mind, and it is the question of, of course, Trump is making a pick for this open seat on the court now. Uh, There's been talk that there could potentially be a couple more picks for Trump's uh, administration. In the coming years, who are the uh, the the justices that we are most most likely to, likely to see uh, going off the court either you know, for whatever reason?
1: Well, I wish them all good health. Absolutely. But, but, but three of them are seventy eight or older. Uh, Ginsburg is eighty three, and she survived cancer twice. Although she's been called frail since she was fifteen years old, I yeah. think. So I want just... I
0: want to point out I I have I absolutely pull for anyone who has survived cancer. Cancer is
1: awful. Right. Right. Um.
0: I just I feel like I have to make
1: that. Statement. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I think I think we can all as a country come together on that uh, controversial uh, position. Uh, and then Justice Kennedy is 80 and Justice Breyer is uh, is 78. So actuarially speaking, um, next four years, uh, uh, more likely than not, uh, we'll have uh, another vacancy. Uh, and certainly in, you know, if it's a two term presidency, then that could fundamentally remake the court.
0: Well, as we uh, as we watch the Supreme Court, hopefully we'll have opportunity to talk with you again uh, as uh, as cases come forward, as vacancies come up. Uh, Ilya Shapiro, uh, thank you so much for being with us. Senior Fellow in Constitutional Studies at the Cato Institute, uh, editor of the Cato Supreme Court Review. Of course, Cato.org is the place to go for all of the information from the Cato Institute. You can find Ilya's writings there or on the Federalist or... Uh, all over the place, actually. I, I did a Google search for your name, and you're everywhere. And don't forget the pinnacle of my career, my appearance on the Colbert Report. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, uh, I, I think we all look back to that as a shining moment in communications broadcasting history. <laughs> uh, Ilya, thank you for joining us. And Paul, as well, thank you for uh, coming down and joining us again on Radio Free Act. And it's been great to talk with both of you. My pleasure. Thanks, Mark. And just like that, another podcast rolls to a conclusion Uh, Thanks once again to Ilya Shapiro for joining us here in the Acton Studios uh, to be part of Radio Free Acton. Ilya, of course, with the Cato Institute, editor of the Cato Supreme Court Review. And you can find a lot of his writing and analysis uh, over at the Cato Institute's website, Cato, C-A-T-O, Cato.org. So thank you very much, Ilya. Thank you as well to you for listening. Uh, We do appreciate all our listeners, and we hope that... uh, you will stay tuned uh, to the RFA channel. We are going to have another edition of Radio Free Acton coming out uh, very soon with some analysis of Donald Trump's pick of uh, Neil Gorsuch to fill the seat vacated by the death of uh, Justice Antonin Scalia. That podcast will be forthcoming very soon, we hope. And uh, in the meantime, while you're waiting for that, be sure to check out the new Acton.org. We just uh, went through a major overhaul of the website, and I think we came away with a great-looking site that's uh, very easy to navigate. Uh, And we hope that you will uh, check it out. Let us know what you think. And, of course, spread the links around to people who haven't heard of Acton, but uh, maybe they they would like what they hear. Maybe they wouldn't like what they hear. We just want to make sure more people hear about Acton, and uh, we can spread the word about building a free and virtuous society uh, to more people. Uh, That's what we want to do. Thanks again for listening, and uh, we will talk to you again on future editions of Radio Free Acton. So long, everybody. Have a great day.